You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. I recently started watching uh, a new Netflix show called This Is Pop. Anyone watch that? Okay, all right, This Is Pop. Basically, This Is Pop. goes through modern developments in the pop industry by following different pop artists and different events in modern pop history. And in the second episode of the show, uh, they, they discuss the introduction of auto-tune. Auto-tune. Now, auto-tune was popularized by an artist named T-Pain. And what auto-tune is, is it's, it's an electronic program that allows you to take a bad singer or an average singer and to manipulate their bad notes, to edit them electronically so that they sound good. Now, T-Pain is actually a very talented artist and singer. And he was using auto-tune just to produce a, a different kind of effect on his vocal. But people started to use it like crazy. And in this second episode of This Is Pop, in an interview with T-Pain, this artist tells the story of being on a flight. And he's on this flight, and his friend, the R&B artist Usher, is on the flight, also known as Usher, okay? (laughs) He's on the flight with Usher. And Usher calls for T-Pain because he wants to talk to him. And when T-Pain gets to Usher, Usher says, man, I got to tell you something. You ruined music for real singers. And at first, T-Pain thought that Usher was joking. But then when he realized that Usher was not joking, he says that that began a four-month, a four-year depression for him. And when they followed up with Usher... Uh, you know, the news outlets did when this came out. Uh, Usher said he wasn't trying to hurt T-Pain, but yet the net effect was deep and lasting discouragement. That was the net effect of his words. We all know that the world can be a very difficult and discouraging place, don't we? It doesn't matter what our material circumstances are. It doesn't matter what your cultural origins are, and it doesn't matter what your faith commitments may be. None of us are immune to discouragement. Relationships are difficult and often disappointing. Jobs are often exhausting. News cycles assault us with the shock of tragedy and controversy every day. People are constantly venting their fearful, angry, and cynical interpretations on things, shading the way that we view the world. And many people feel like the only time that anybody ever sees them is when they fail, when they screw something up, or or, or when someone's mad at them. They feel invisible every other time. What I'm saying is that hopeful kingdom perspective on our lives and on the world is often elusive. And this is why it's so important that God's community be a people 
of encouragement. When we look at the contours of Scripture, we see that the Lord intends Christian community to be encouraging community. A community where people are watered rather than withered. Where they are healed rather than wounded. Where they are delighted rather than devoured. Where they are picked up rather than picked apart. It is a sad state of affairs when the resurrection people are more prone to offer criticism than encouragement. It is to our shame that we are often animated by venting a grievance or complaint, but we're sluggish when it comes to nurturing with kind and thoughtful words. We're often more concerned that somebody's going to get a big head than we are with the fact that people are carrying heavy hearts. In all of my years of ministry, I have never, ever met a single person who claimed to be over-encouraged. But I've known plenty of people who have endured long seasons of despair without anybody from their community speaking life into them. We need more than encouraging books. We need more than encouraging music. We need encouraging community and the connection that it produces. Now, as we continue through this series on the household of faith, on Christian community, we are going to take the essential nature of encouragement seriously this morning. So here's the deal. If you have a critical spirit, then you need this word today. If you are prone to cynicism, then you need this word today. If you are a perpetual fault finder, then you need this word today. If you're a perfectionist and nothing is ever good enough for you, you need this word today. If sarcasm is your reflexive mode of communication, you need this word today. And if you are simply unpracticed and undisciplined at speaking life into the people around you, then you need this word today. And if you're feeling beat up by life today, you need this word. My prayer is that all of you will receive the word implanted in a spirit of meekness, humility, and repentance as we hear from the Proverbs And seek to beautify and mature this little community. We're going to approach these texts through two points. As we consider where life finds us and where encouragement leads us. Where life finds us and where encouragement leads us. So let's look at this first point. Where life finds us. One of the most practically helpful and neglected portions of Scripture is the Proverbs. The Proverbs offer us wisdom, which you could understand as skill for living in God's world, in God's way. The Proverbs offer sagely guidance to help God's community to navigate this fallen world together. It's meant to help the community of God to navigate the fallen world that we live in by living in the world in God's way. 
And the Proverbs are real about where life often finds us. And our texts for today get real about where life finds us so that they can make important points about encouragement. Take a listen. Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Real about life. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Point about encouragement. You see the visual, right? Life often finds us wounded because of the sharp words that another has offered us that have gone through us. Have you ever felt like someone's words have gone through you? It's the sword thrust. It's real about life. But the wise speak healing into the wounded. They are a, a balm to the wounded. Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Real about life. But a good word makes him glad. A point about encouragement. Life often finds us anxious, weighed down, and weary because of all the cares of life. But the words of the wise bring gladness to the anxious, setting them free and lightening the feel of their load. You may not be able to lighten someone's load in reality, but you, you can enlighten the feel of their load through the word of encouragement. Proverbs 15, 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. Now it flips now, a point about encouragement. But perverseness in it, the tongue, breaks the spirit. It's real about life. Life often finds us with a broken spirit, feeling totally defeated, grieved, and ready to give up because of mean, slanderous, calloused, or heartless comments. It could even be that something sinister was inferred. I'll just give you an example. Man, they aren't preaching the gospel there. They're talking about critical race theory. Slander. Slander. But those words can break the spirit. They can break the spirit. It could even be said by someone that you're really close with. But the wise speak life into the broken spirit, bringing restoration. Life often finds us discouraged for any number of reasons. And none of this is any surprise to us. I have not told you anything new. But what may surprise you is that the wise are pictured not just as morally savvy or theologically astute or biblically literate. No, that is not what constitutes wisdom. In these texts, the wise are pictured as being proactive toward the discouraged, taking responsibility for meeting them with the words of encouragement. That's a picture of the wise. They are not passive. They are not so self-absorbed that they miss opportunities to affirm and spur others on to love and good deeds. Because you know it's self-absorption that causes us to miss so much of the good that's going on in other people's lives. The wise don't just offer triage encouragement when people are already drowning in discouragement. No, their consistent word of encouragement can even be a preventative protection that keeps deep discouragement from getting 
far beneath the surface of their community. It's preventative. And I think this is particularly important as it comes to our children. Some of us have paid a lot of money to counselors because of the words that were spoken over us early on in our lives that we are still wrestling with. A whole industry has begun to boom, and a lot of it has to do with the words that were spoken over us or into us. There is a lot to say here, but let me just offer a few brief things. First, we are not to discipline and correct our children at the expense of encouraging our children. And let all the parents say, ouch. (laughs) Here's the deal. If you are silent when there are good things to affirm, but vocal when there are things to correct, you are damaging your relationship with them, you are compromising their view of the Father, and you're setting them up to walk away from the faith. When you are silent in the face of good things to affirm, and you are vocal when there are things to correct, you are setting them up to walk away from the faith because they are getting a view of authority that is not adorning of who God is. God doesn't just correct us. And we're going to get to that. I'm going to turn that to gospel in a second. I'm going to turn that to gospel in a second. Let me say one more thing on this, all right? Every adult in this room should be consistently speaking encouraging words over the children of this community every single Sunday. Tell me, how else are they going to grow up with a different story than the common church hurt narrative that we are hearing every day? How else are they going to grow up with a different narrative unless we actually affirm the life into them? I was going to say affirm the mess out of them, but like... You get what I'm saying, right? We should be affirming some child every single time we see them. Acknowledging what God's doing in their lives. Expressing our delight in who God has made them to be. It's our responsibility. We have no one else to blame but ourselves if the children of this church grow up and walk away from the faith because they were not given a compelling reason to stay. I'll stop here and let the Spirit take the point. But you may need to open up a conversation with your children and repent and take up a new practice of being their greatest cheerleader rather than their greatest critic. Because your criticisms on their lives will then turn into the inner critic that they will carry with them for the rest of their lives. But you have the opportunity to be their chief encourager. Let's be that. And not only should we be encouraging our children, we should be encouraging one another on Sundays and throughout the week. Husbands should be encouraging their wives. Wives should be encouraging their husbands. If you're not married and you have roommates, you should be encouraging them. Send an email. Send a text. Go old school and actually make a phone call or write a handwritten note. 
You know I have every single solitary handwritten note of encouragement that's ever been given to me. Every single one. And every single encouraging email I've ever sent, I keep in a folder. That was encouragement from a mentor one time. He said, make a folder for your encouragements because you're going to need them. You're going to need to revisit them on the days where you are getting savagely attacked, where your calling is being brought into question, and you aren't sure whether you should even be in ministry anymore. You're going to need those encouragements. That was the wisdom of someone who knew what ministry was like and how, how encouragement is often in short supply. We should be encouraging the staff members of this church and the leaders of this church who work tirelessly to serve and bless you. Do you know that our shepherds and our diaconate, our CG leaders and our ministry team leaders actually have full-time work in addition to what they do for this community? These people amaze me. I never hear them complain. I never hear them even when they have good reason to complain. I never hear them complain. I've never seen a hint of power grabbing from them or grandstanding. They are humble, self-sacrificial. They repent quickly. They forgive freely and they love deeply. They love the Lord. They love you. And they love these neighborhoods that we are privileged to serve. By the way, we really do want you to bring the problems and challenges of life that you have. We do want you to bring those things. And your concerns, if you have concerns, we want you to bring those things. But what I'm saying is, please speak the words of encouragement over the leaders who serve you well. Speak the words of encouragement to everyone in your pathway in your life. This is what I'm saying. But here's a question. Why? Why should we? Where do you actually get the inner resources to do this work of encouragement? Because it's often difficult, right? You get the resources from the gospel. Because the gospel tells us that God has every reason to criticize us. He has every reason to pick us apart justly. He can identify every single fault. He can see every single misstep. He can see the deep corruption. He can see all the evil within you. And when God could have criticized us and picked us apart, he chose instead to sing over us in love. He chose to speak his words of benediction over us. He chose to say, you are my beloved. He chose to say, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? My heart recoils within me. I love you. You are deeply cherished. You are mine. These are the words that God speaks over you when you don't deserve it. It's the words of grace that have transformed our lives. And that's where we get the power to speak the words of grace and love over the lives of other people. Yes, they have flaws. And you could choose to focus on their flaws. Or you could choose to speak words of life and encouragement over them so that they can fall forward just like you're doing. All of us are falling forward in this race. No one is up sprinting. Bam, bam, doing the Carl Lewis. I just dated myself real bad. None of us are sprinting. 
We're all stumbling forward. Bam, hit the ground. And you know how we end up getting back up again? The love and encouragement of our community. That's how the Lord works. He works through our community to help us to get back up off the ground and to keep falling forward toward glory. It is the gospel that gives us the resources to be this kind of encouraging community. Now, we've talked about the place where life often finds us, and we've talked about the need to encourage, and we've talked about the resources from which we get the motivation to do the work of encouragement. But we need to dig a little bit deeper into the nature of encouragement itself, which brings us to our second point, where encouragement leads us. Now, one of the things that's obvious in these texts is that we need community to help us out of bad places that we cannot get ourselves out of. Do you see that? There are wounds that we cannot heal on our own. There, there are discouragements that we just cannot lift on our own. The simple thing in this text is that we need community to get us out of places we can't get ourselves out of. We need community to reconnect us to reality. Every Christian is called to offer encouragement, and we are all in need of encouragement. And here's the thing. You may feel powerless today. You may feel like you have no power to affect any change in this world, right? Like, you look at the news headlines, the things that we prayed about in our time of prayer, and you may conclude, man, I can't do anything. I'm a speck in the midst of all of these problems and all this trouble. But that's a half-truth, You need to understand that you have the power to build up or destroy lives through your words. You have that, that words have that kind of power, not in a magical, like speak things into existence kind of way, which is a faulty way of understanding many of these proverbs and certain wings of the church. I'm not talking about speaking something into existence that is not, you know, that's only said about God. That is never said about human beings. That's just a side note freebie. We're talking about that way in which our words affect people deeply. They, they, they're hypodermic. And we have to consider what it is that we are implanting in the lives of other people. The Proverbs are calling you to be a healer, to be a herald of joy, to be a life giver by being an encourager. Encouragement works healing. It brings joy and it gives life because of where it leads. That's the important thing you need to see about where encouragement leads. That's why the tongue of the wise is a tree of life. Because its roots have been sunk in God. Encouragement must be distinguished from what has come to be known as toxic positivity. Toxic positivity is the belief that no matter how dire or difficult a situation is, people should just maintain a positive mindset. Why? Because. There are no grounds for it. There's no moral grounding for it. There's no ethical grounding for it. There's no theological grounding for it. And the philosophical groundings are pretty thin. It's basic pragmatism. You got to stay positive because, you know, well, your life won't really amount to much unless you stay positive. You got to just keep pressing on. Toxic positivity. It's a good vibes only approach to life. Stay positive is the mantra. But toxic positivity, here's what it does. It dismisses difficult feelings. It hides painful emotions. And it ignores problems. 
The result is that it actually makes people feel worse and it leaves them worse off in the end because you have led them to avoidance. They aren't dealing with the hard things. They aren't processing the difficult emotions. They're stuffing them. And I'll tell you, the more and more you stuff something, the bigger the explosion is going to be at some point down the road. Emotions are stubborn things. They refuse to remain buried forever. It will come out somehow. This is a worldly approach to navigating a fallen world. It's worldliness. You know what worldliness is? It's processing things without reference to God. That's what worldliness is. This is a worldly way of navigating a fallen world. However, encouragement, as it is conceived in Scripture, brings healing, joy, and life because it leads to the healer. It leads to the giver of joy. It leads to the God who is life. But we need to get more specific about how encouragement works. And I intend the following, not just as explanatory, but as guidance for how you can encourage other people. So if you want to jot a few notes, feel free, or you can just listen. But where does encouragement lead? Encouragement leads others to God's story. Encouragement leads others to God's story. I remember being in a rough patch of discouragement because things were not going the way that I wanted them to go with Grace Mosaic. And I met up with Chris Moore, and Chris Moore led me to God's story. He said to me, I'm sorry, bro, I I know that's rough. And then after a little while, he's like, you know, I've been thinking about how the Lord was with Israel in the desert all those years, shaping his people. And And he got them to the promised land. The Lord is with you in this desert, and he will get us to the promised land. I was like, let's go, Chris Moore, let's go. I was hyped because what he did was he placed my little story inside of God's big story. That's what he did by leading me to this scene of God's story. He helped me to properly contextualize my own story in a way that I needed. Now, listen, he didn't give me all of the answers to my my present problem, but he did give me bearings. He gave me bearings. He gave me stability in that moment by leading me to God's story. You have to remember Our lives must find their place in some greater story or they will find their place in some lesser story. You will live inside of some story. It could be the story of the American dream. It could be the story of building a life through achievement and success. All of us are living inside of some story, but there's only one story that will result in deep, lasting joy. One story that will really make something profoundly beautiful of your life. One story that gets you off of the performance treadmill. You know what the treadmill is, right? It's the reality of motion with the illusion of progress. You are working and getting nowhere. It's not until you step off of the treadmill by grace alone that you are able to then begin making real, deep, lasting progress That's what being placed in God's story helps us to do. Encouragement helps others to find their place in the greater story of God. You can lead people to particular scenes in God's story, or you can take their point of discouragement into the bigger narrative. For example, 
If somebody is struggling to persevere in loving their children in difficult times, you can show them how the overarching big story of God is all about a perfect family that was created. And then a perfect family that was ruined. And then the great lengths to which God would go to retrieve his children and restore his family. And they are on that list. They are one of those runaway rebel children that God pursued and brought back to his love. Now, if they are loved like that, they now have the resources to persevere in love no matter what's going on with their kids. Leading them back to the big story of God. Encouragement gives others God's interpretation on things, a new lens. In essence, you're saying to them, you should try on these glasses. I think they're your prescription, and you'll be able to see things more clearly. That's what you're doing by bringing them to God's story, bringing clarity. Encouragement leads to God's story. Encouragement, next, leads to God's character and attributes. Encouragement leads people to God's character and attributes. You know that one of the things that discouragement often does is distort God's character in the life of the discouraged. We think him to be angry, cruel, stingy, or distant when life gets turbulent. But encouragers restore God's character to the discouraged with a word in season. Without dismissing the difficult emotions of the discouraged, they are able to come in and say, it sounds like you feel that God is screwing up your life right now. And I understand how this recent turn of events is working on you. I get it. But I'd encourage you to remember that his wisdom is unsearchable. Because if you had been at the foot of the cross on Good Friday, you would have thought that God was letting everything fall apart. But it was actually on Good Friday that God was bringing everything back together. If he was at work in that messy situation like that, do you think that same wisdom could be at work in the mess that you're entertaining right now? You better believe it. God can be trusted. That, that wisdom can be trusted. God's character and attributes. Encouragement leads others to God's character and attributes. It also leads others to God's grace and love in the gospel. One of the most discouraging experiences that we face is failure. Failure. Failure makes us feel unwanted, useless, and aimless. But you can help others to calm the inner critic and to calm the emotional turmoil that's going on within them by leading them to God's love in the gospel. Remind them that God loves them as much on their worst days as he does on their best days because he views them in union with Christ and all his successes. The Lord saw this failure coming and he loves you still. As gospel artist Kirk Franklin put it, we're the reason why God made grace. <laughs> God wants the unwanted. He uses the otherwise useless, and he directs the aimless toward home. Encouragement leads others to God's grace and love in the gospel. Next, encouragement leads others to the evidence of grace in their lives. 
When you encourage someone, you are helping them to dust for God's fingerprints on their lives. When people are encouraged, they are brought to the feeling of being appreciated and valued for who God has made them to be. They are brought to recognize God-given gifts that they're using for the broader good. They're brought to recognize the sacrifices that they are making for the well-being of others and faithful living that you're witnessing in their lives. And you're saying, God's at work in you. I see what God is making of you. It is beautiful. The way you serve so selflessly, man, I just want to encourage you. God is at work in you because it's only by God's grace that a person could act like that. You're recognizing, you're seeing them, and you're affirming God's work on them. And through them, you know, you really blessed those kids when you showed up to play football with them at the park. You blessed them. I mean, they've been talking about that all week. You made a difference in their lives. God's at work. You could have been spending your time somewhere else, and selfishness would have had you doing something else. But it was grace that brought you to see and value someone else more than your own time. And I just want to affirm that. Listen, there are all kind of God-given virtues that you can see in a brother or sister that serve as an occasion for encouragement. If, if you think, wow, that's a really kind thing she did, then tell her. If you say, wow, he really served selflessly at that event, tell him. Don't let your good thoughts die. Don't let your encouragements die the death of staying in your head because they don't make it out of your mouth. Speak it. Say it. Write it. Send it. As soon as it happens, make a practice of As soon as it comes into your head, share it. Because if you hold on to it, it's just like all those times, I'll pray for you. You ain't praying. <laughs> Tell the truth, shame the devil. The best practice is when someone says, yeah, I really need you to pray for me. Let's, let's pray right now. Right? I had a friend who used to do that all the time. He would lay hands on me right now. I'd be like, bro, I need you to pray for me. He'd be like, pow. I'd be like, right, right on my head. I'd be like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you. Because he was real. He knew that he would be well-intentioned, well but he could often forget to do it. He recognized his limitations and his humanity, and so he would just pray right on the spot. Encourage right on the spot. All right. Help. I'm going to move on to the next point. Next point. Encouragement leads others to the testimony of the saints. It's, it, it leads people to see that if God could do it for them, he could do it for me. If God could do it in them, he can do it in me. Horatio G. Spafford was a businessman, and he sent his family on a trip to England on a boat across the sea. And he had to finish up some business matters. So he sent his wife and his four daughters across on a boat, one of those big ocean liners back in the 19th century. And he was planning to take a boat a few days later to meet them over there. And about four days into the journey, their boat struck another boat and it began to sink. And that boat slipped beneath the water and his four daughters died in that ocean. And his wife made it 
to a piece of wood, and she was picked up by a boat. And when she got over to the UK, she phoned him, she, she telegraphed him, and said, all have been lost, what should I do? And he sent notice back to her that he was on his way. When he was on the boat, four days in, the captain called down to him and told him that this was the spot where he lost his four little girls. And then he wrote, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. If God could do that kind of sustaining work in the lives of the saints in such intense suffering and loss, he can help me as I'm battling through the weariness of COVID-19 and being separated from the people I love. If God could sustain Horatio G. Spafford through such times, he can bear me up when I'm experiencing all the losses and griefs of this world. And we, we can not only look back to the historic testimony of the saints, we can look to the present testimony of brothers and sisters in our congregation. We can look at Ashley Bowman and say, if she can endure such threats to her health and have such buoyant, resonant faith and joy, he can help me when work is rattling me a little bit. We can look at Cheryl Smith and say if she could suffer the loss of bodily function and still rise up and bless his name, then I can rise up and I can shake it off and I can press through. God can do that same work in me. We can look at the testimony of the saints and encouragement leads us there and shows us that it can be different for me right now. And it begins on the inside. It begins with that trust that God can do for me what he has done for them. Our words, beloved, matter. They are not neutral things. Through our words, we are always leading people toward the Lord or away from him. We're either confirming or undermining the truth that Christ has risen. We're either wetting people's appetites or ruining people's appetites for the kingdom through our words. Let's make Grace Mosaic the kind of community that leads others to the healing, the joy, and the life of God. Amen? Let's pray. Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.